Hello, and welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. I'm Angela Lucier, your host, and the Claim the Stage podcast is for women who are aspiring speakers who want to get paid and inspire on stage. We talk about all kinds of stuff on this podcast. As I'm looking through all the episodes, I'm like, oh, we talk about self-sabotage. We talk about humor. We talk about how to become one of the best speakers in your area. We talk about your life story. We're going deep in all the subjects. And today we're going to talk to a father-daughter combo duo (laughs) who are the authors of the book called Flair. And Flair is about how to design your daily work, products, and services to energize customers, colleagues, and audiences. And I got the chance to read a copy of this book, loved what they had to say about how public speakers specifically can add flair to their presentations, and thought, I have to have these two on my show. This is my first time ever interviewing two people at once. And I loved how Jim's perspective from an engineering and consulting background complemented Jen's background in arts and fashion. So you get to hear a little bit of their two different perspectives while also complementing each other and giving a really well-rounded interview on this whole subject of flair and why it's so important for speakers. Before we jump into that interview, I want to remind you all that the Speaking School for Women is coming up on September 26th. Mark your calendars. It is my signature six-week course. It is online, so anybody can take it. It's open to 20 students, and we had a blast last spring with the 17 students I had in my class where we talked all about how to build your brand, how to become known, how to get booked and continue to get booked for speaking gigs, how to build a talk that is memorable and makes everyone jump out of their seats and say, wow, what? Whoa. (laughs) And there was just a lot of really great moments in that class this spring. And I can't wait to do it again this fall. Registration opens on September 12th. And you can learn more about it right now by going to my website, AngelaLucier.us. Lucier is spelled L-U-S-S as in Sam, I-E-R. That's AngelaLucier.us. And just click on Speaking School and you'll learn all about it. So without further ado, I introduce to you Jennifer and Jim Pogue. Today, I want to welcome Jennifer and Jim Pogue, daughter and father. They are co-authors of Flair, Design Your Daily Work, products and services to energize customers, colleagues, and audiences, published in March 2016 by Maven House Press. Flair shows how to add meaning and joy to your offerings and communications to create a positive and lasting impression for your target audience. Jennifer is a fashion designer working on her MA in fashion design management at the London College of Fashion, and formerly she was an apparel technical designer for Reebok and Adidas. She has a B in art history from Drew University and an AAS in fashion studies from Parsons School of Design. Jim Pogue, PhD, is founder, president of JLP Performance Consulting, where he focuses on integrating technology and humans in the workplace and on creating emotional connections with customers and audiences. Jim has a PhD from Harvard and an MS and BS from Stanford. Jim and Jen, thanks so much for coming on the show today. Thank you. Yes, thank you for having us. 
Yeah, I would love to hear more about your backgrounds before we jump into the book, just to learn a little bit more about what got you to this point. So let's start with you, Jim. What led you to writing a book on this subject? Was there a specific event or moment that led you to this? Well, as you said in the introduction, um, I studied engineering in college. Uh, but during my career, I evolved to address how to integrate technology and humans in the workplace so they can work together efficiently. So that got me into learning about human behavior, motivation in an area um, called human factors. And since this got me into viewing uh, humans with their emotion and behavioral issues, about 15 years ago, I started to use storytelling to present the results and recommendation of my analysis to clients. In other words, instead of just presenting the finding and facts, I would present them in a story of how value would be created or how what I was proposing would work. And then I went on to create an experience for the clients and audiences of what it would be like if they used my recommendations. And this led to more generally considered what I eventually started calling flair. And then talking with Jen about flair in our respective fields, we realized what a broad role flair could play in making any offering exciting and appealing. Wow, I love that you figured out that storytelling can really engage your audience in a different way and help to probably add more value to your presentation overall, which in, in effect adds more value to your work. So Jen, I would love to know, same question for you, what inspired you to write this book? Uh, well, when my dad started working on this book project, I was working full time in the design department at Reebok. So he shared a lot of his ideas with me and I started reading some of his summaries and I realized that it related almost firsthand to what I was doing day to day as a designer and what I had learned as a designer. He was taking these concepts and using them to reach a broader audience. And so what I really found interesting was I would kind of take a holistic look at his project. I kept saying, Dad, you need to add flair to your writing. You need to add flair to the layout and kind of present a whole package of the book, not just in the ideas. So we, we realized we both had different aspects that we could contribute to the project. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. And so I've read a lot of business books and I was really intrigued when I came across yours because it's really rare to find a father-daughter team writing a business book. Why did you decide to write this book together? I mean, I know you shared how you both kind of came across flair in your own ways, but what compelled you to actually say like, hey, let's author this book together and, and see what we come up with? Well, yes, you've already, we've already covered uh, how we each came to talk about flair with each other. And uh, we started doing some research and interviewing to understand our understanding of effective flair. And we realized we could write a book about it. Uh, one of our themes in the book is that uh, creative types, such as fashion designers, uh, don't sit around waiting for inspiration, but they follow uh, structured processes. And of course, people in the technical field follow structured process. So we thought we could combine our views from a creative field and a person with a techie background to uh, write a book that would give insights about flair for a broad audience. Uh, yeah, I think it was really that we both came from opposite spectrums and met in, in the middle for our studies, whereas my dad started with really 
technology and engineering and over time has adapted into more of a customer engagement and user experience whereas my background was very art very design and as I progressed in my career I've studied more about the business and logistics of it so we've both gotten from opposite ends to kind of meet in the middle of where design can play into business and adding it in a practical sense. Uh, probably as I was raised in a very scholarly academic environment from my dad having this PhD in engineering, uh, I was always incredibly artsy and creative, but I think that kind of influenced uh, how we combine it, combine it, as I said, into the practical sense. So we just really complemented each other very well. Mm -hmm. Now, your book is about flair. And so before we continue the interview, I think it would probably be best if we define flair <laughs> as it's defined in your book and why it's important to public speakers. Okay, well, by flair, we mean charm or taste, style, spirit, liveness, any word that you might want to use to indicate something that excites your customers, colleagues, and audiences. And by effective flair, we mean that it actually does energize others. Uh, and if people are energized, they're more likely to act. They're more likely to buy from you, to adopt what you're proposing or follow up on your offering. Uh, when people are energized, they tend to overcome any inhibitions they might have to, to acting. So for a speaker, they're more likely to pay attention to you during your talk, to remember you, follow up with you, and adopt what you recommend. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, I totally I, agree. Yeah, Jen? I'm sorry. Uh, I, yeah, I think it's important to note that a flair, having effective flair means it's very unique to what you're offering. So if it's defined well in kind of your own spirit, your, what you particularly bring as a speaker to energize your crowd, it really will distinguish your unique voice and help determine your own brands and convey your personal values and missions. Excellent. And we're going to get into that a little bit more later in the interview as to how public speakers can figure out what their flair is and how to integrate it into their talks. But right now, can you share an example or a story about a company that has effective flair just so we can kind of understand in practice how that works? Uh, sure, I'll, I'll continue with that. Uh, one example that we start off with at the very beginning of our book is Beats headphones. Uh, so this is something that really redefines the meaning of what it was to listen to music and listen to it personally through your headphones. Whereas previously you had a lot of, you know, earbuds or, or more, um, uh, technically advanced, uh, kind of the bigger headphones, but Beats came in with their very colorful, captivating uh, design uh, and added to it uh, the engineering where, so I'm probably maybe my dad can speak a little more into the technical part. Uh, I think the, uh, the bass notes were really emphasized. So rock and pop music uh, really kind of sounded a, a lot more vibrant through them. So it was, Vibrant to hear, vibrant to wear, vibrant for people to see people wearing it. They, they really went about it in a, a fashion style and music way. Um, so I think this led to some great sales success. Um, Dad, maybe you can comment on that. 
Well, yes, uh, earphones, the high-end earphones before Beats um, provided the sound equally across the whole uh, music spectrum of notes. Uh, but Beats emphasized the bass notes and uh, rock and pop has always been about a driving, throbbing bass. So I, I sometimes call this enhancing reality. So this was some of the flair uh, they brought to the listening experience, as what Moses Jennifer said, with their uh, flashy um, appearance. Uh, previously, headphones had just been black or silver, but uh, they made them in bright, shiny colors. Mm -hmm. I think that also happened with the iPod, right? They, it came out in different colors. It was different than the typical MP3 player. It was, had kind of more appeal because it had that cooler look, and it was a, a new it was like a new product, even though it was kind of the same thing, just in a new, I guess, had more flair. Yes, yes. Uh, so when you brought up the iPod, I think one of the questions you'll be asking us a little later is about our concept of meaningful and joyful essence. And uh, we'll come back and talk about the iPod in that context. Oh, perfect. So let's talk about a company or product that isn't doing flair very well that maybe will help us see okay that yeah we we know that product and we we know that's yeah that's not that's not right <laughs> well, we'll, we'll talk about microsoft, microsoft <laughs> okay. and apple have always been in a battle and uh, lately apple's the one that's been getting all the attention uh, beginning in the early 2000s with their first consumer mobile advice the ipod that you mentioned Microsoft seems to still be struggling with, with, with what's, how to connect emotionally with its customers. Uh, for a product that didn't contain much flair and suffered in the marketplace, I, I'm going to take their first um, Surface RT, uh, which came out in, um, in October of 2012. It was the, their first combination tablet and laptop combo where the keyboard would come off and you could use it as a tablet. Uh, but the uh, screen part, which held all the electronics, was quite large uh, at the time for, for a tablet since it had to fit the full-size keyboard, as well as it was heavy with all the electronics. So it didn't really catch on as a tablet. And yes, as a tablet. And in terms of being a laptop, they made the com they tried to make the keyboard very thin, so it didn't have a very good typing experience. So um, it actually was a bit awkward to be, to be used either as a tablet or a laptop. And so it didn't catch on, you know, emotionally or rationally. It sounds really good. Let's have a combo laptop and tablet. But if you look at it on the emotional aspect, it was a bit actually irritating to use for many people. Uh, they finally went on and designed their Surface Pro as a high-end tablet, and they started to get better sales, but it's still, they're still not inspiring like, uh, um, like some of the Apple tablets. Yeah, I would agree. Now, let's talk more specifically about public speaking, because public speakers aren't providing a product, they're providing a service. So how do they provide effective flair through that, that service or presentation? Okay, well, one of the things is to tell a story when, when they're speaking. If, uh, if, if they're speaking about some topic, don't just describe the topic and say, this is how it would help you folks in the audience if you, if you adopt this, but tell a story about how their topic 
will provide a benefit to the audience or what tell a story about how they could perform if if they used uh, what the speaker was was talking about can you give an example of a time when you did that just to kind of understand if you're you know relaying a piece of data then how do you add a story to that sure um, I'll, I'll do this um, I worked on a, a project with the Federal Aviation Administration uh, where they had some new concepts to use in the uh, terminal airspace where aircraft are landing and taking off. And they had a number of different projects that they were uh, working on and doing some tests uh, at some of the airports used by the cargo carriers su such as FedEx and, and uh, UPS. And I was working with the team that was to understand what were the benefits that would be provided both to the carriers and to the FAA. And most people who tend to do this tend to just to sort of list the technical features and then what the benefits are. But to really convince people that this technology would provide the benefits, I added storytelling is I told the story of how the features and technology they would consider would provide the benefits. In other words, the technology would provide certain information to the controllers. The controllers would then use this to do better planning of more efficient landing routes. And then the pilots would have better information. And one of the features was to give pilots a better uh, ability to visually acquire in their site other aircraft in the area so they could more quickly acquire the airport airplane they were supposed to follow into the airport and then they would save more time and fuel in, in their uh, landing operations. So when I expressed it as a story, uh, the audiences and the stakeholders began to believe more that this technology would really work since they understand how it would provide a benefit as opposed to just listing the benefits. Mm -hmm. Excellent. One of the things I love about your book is that you you outline the six elements of flare to be used in building blocks to creating effective flare. So I think it would be great if, if one of you could outline the six elements and talk about a few that are most important for speakers to master. Okay, I'll start out and cover the first uh, uh, three and then Jennifer can say a bit about the other three. Sure. One of them is story and I've just mentioned that is, is to create a story of, of what your offering does, or if you have a topic uh, that you're talking to the audience about, uh, the story of, of how that topic works, how it will create value to the audience. Another uh, building block is entertain the audience. Use some humor, use some props to illustrate uh, what you're talking about. When you use examples, maybe create an unusual example that they may not have thought about. Um, and another one is creating an experience. I found this to be very powerful, is create an experience for your audience of what it would be like for them if they use your offering or they use uh, the topic that you're talking about. And do this for a concrete situation, not in general. Get a specific example and present the example from the viewpoint of the audience uh, actually uh, working within the example and explain the features in the context of actual use, not just listing them. Um, sure, I'll, I'll jump in here as the next one would be sincerity, 
which relates to the first three my dad just mentioned, especially for entertainment, is when you're incorporating these elements, they really need to be sincere to your message. So don't just come out and make a lot of noise and move around or tell some jokes. Whatever you're doing to bring the audience in absolutely needs to relate to the message, uh, which then relates to the next step of excellence. So you can have you know, any sort of entertainment or story you like, but if you're not sincere or your product isn't excellent, it really is meaningless. And the last uh, building block we have is energy. You want to energize your audience. This makes whatever you're selling or your speech more memorable. And when they leave, they're more energized to act on it. When I first read this list and hearing it again now today, I'm, I'm thinking, wow, I want all of those things in every single one of my talk and I want to do them all really well because any speaker should be tr trying to hit all of those marks all the time. So what are the first few steps to take in order to not get overwhelmed, but to also start improving our presentations? Well, I think the first thing would be to what do you want your audience to do after listening to your talk? Many people say, well, what's the message? What am I, what do I want to tell the audience? Well, I think you can go a little more fundamentally uh, down a little deeper is how, what do you want your audience to do with what you've been talking to them about? And then define the stories or experiences that you want your audience to tell their friends and colleagues about after they've listened to your talk, what do you want them to tell others about what they heard? And then you can move into using the six building blocks to energize the talk because you've got down more to the essence and a more under fundamental understanding of, of what your talk should do to motivate your audience. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'd like to, sorry, just jump in for a minute is that it's really important, I think, not to add all six points <laughs> out in your talk as you said you know you get really just inspired to add all of these building blocks and and that's a bit too much of course so just bring it back to the sincerity where really focus on the essence of what you want to say maybe pick out which one of these uh, relates most to that and build around it in a very succinct sincere way yeah, I'm glad you brought that up in, in terms of just really focusing on the sincerity. I was at a meeting last night of women who are public speakers, and a couple of them said they want to really focus on how to bring themselves into their presentation because they've been trainers in different fields and they're really good at the topic they're training. But when it comes to bringing their personality and their stories and their personal touch to their talks, they don't know how to do it. So do you have any advice for how to bring more sincerity into your presentation if you haven't been doing that? Um, sure, I'll, I'll just jump in on this. Uh, I think maybe we were going to discuss this a little further. It, it relates a lot to your brand and branding yourself. So when you think about a company brand or your own brand, uh, this incorporates a lot of different elements such as if you have you know visuals logo design your your unique voice your unique selling points mission statement all of that and flair is one of the tools and this whole umbrella so when you're getting into the flair think about how it relates back to your brands your your own message uh so it, it shouldn't just be 
as we said, you know, being loud and fun and flashy, enthusiastic, it really needs to target down the essence and, and the meaning of what you're selling through your product. Um, I have, since you're asking this at this point, you, you later were going to ask us about a number one piece of advice for women speakers. Um, if you don't mind, I'll say something now since it really relates to this topic and you can come back to this question later and we'll say some more. Sure. But, but make your talk personal. Uh, I talked about creating experiences and telling stories. If you have a story or experience that involved yourself, tell that. If you have one of a colleague or a friend uh, that relates to your topic, tell that. Make it very concrete by, by doing it about a specific person, not in general, and make it personal by somebody you knew or about yourself. Uh, and I suggest that your audience look at a TED Talk given by Amy Cuddy, C-U-D-D-Y. Her TED Talk was entitled, Your Body Language Shapes Who You Are. But she later gets into a topic, what her topic is, talk is really about, which is fake it until you become it. And in the last quarter of her talk, she shares a personal experience of herself as well as somebody else. And I think this was very, uh, a powerful way to do it. So you could just Google Amy Cuddy TED Talk. Yeah, I, I want a second. A great example of what we're talking about here today. So we've talked about brand and we've talked about story. And I want to get back to this idea of offering a meaningful and joyful essence through our work. And I want to know what speakers can do to create this type of experience for their audience, because it sounds like the best thing ever. <laughs> okay, well, th this is about what is your talk really about? Um, I, I'm going to go back to I, the Apple's iPod first, and then we'll get to a speaker. Um, the, before the Apple iPod came along, their first music listening device, uh, there were other MP3 players, uh, but they hadn't really caught on in the market. And what Apple did that was different, instead of viewing it as a device that plays music and what features should be put into it, they got down to what we call a meaningful and joyful essence. Steve Jobs described the iPod as a thousand songs in your pocket. Jennifer and I think you can go a little more fundamental and say, joy of music's always with you. Mm -hmm. So we're not talking about the device, we're talking about what it provides. And it's meaningful because people want to have music with them. And it's joyful because music is joyful and they made the Apple iPod very simple to use by concentrating on the listening experience. So it, it was joyful because the device didn't get in the way of your listening to the music. So you want to apply the same thing uh, to your talk. Uh, the essence engages rationally and emotionally. So in, in your talk, is your subject meaningful to them? Have you gotten down to what's in it for them, not what you want to tell? And then is it joyful? Is, is your talk easy to follow? Does it bring them some pleasure or satisfaction, both in the listening experience and if they were to adopt what you're talking about in your talk? So again, it goes back to a previous question that we answered about 
view it from the point of the audience, but what do you want the audience to do afterwards and what's likely to get them to do that both emotionally and rationally? Mm -hmm. I love that. It's not what you do. It's what you provide. I feel like I could yeah. like lie in my hammock in the backyard for the next four hours. <laughs> <laughs> now, a few weeks ago, I had an improv expert on my podcast and we talked about how to include humor in presentations. And I know one of your, your six, uh, building blocks is humor. So I want to know what kind of advice you have along the lines of making your talk more humorous or entertaining. Because I know this is one area where a lot of women feel anxiety about trying to make themselves funny if they're not already funny. So are there a couple things they could start thinking about now just to take the pressure off? <laughs> yes. Some of the things I've done is, uh, well, I happen to have a satellite radio in my car and actually in my office too. And uh, sometimes I listen to the comedy channel and sometimes I hear routines that I could adapt when I give a talk because it relates uh, to the subject or it explains the technique I use. So I adapt the routine and talk about it in my talk. I, of course, give credit to the original source. But another way is keep on the lookout for something funny that you see or you hear relates to your subject. One of the things I learned from Jennifer is creatives keep a journal uh, with them. If Jennifer sees some idea that intrigues her, either a fashion or it could be some piece of architecture or something she sees in the streets, she takes notes and makes a sketch. So if you see something somewhere that has a bit of humor to it, that you might someday be able to adopt something. Don't worry about it at the time. Can you adopt this or not? You know, make, make a, keep a note of it. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Uh, I'll expand a bit on this. Is my dad is really the one who loves listening to the comedy channels and love jokes. Um, I'm I go a little bit differently when when I'm presenting. Uh, I'm not as comfortable with that, but I, I do want to, of course, draw the audience in and create an experience or an interaction, which is what I think humor does. So, a, kind of a different method I will take is to create more of a dialogue. So if you ask questions, uh, have, you know, even if it's a huge crowd, you could have one or two people, you know, uh, answer a question, give their opinion, I love it. create a little bit of a back and forth. Um, and also if you have a bit of a smaller audience, which is what we would do in a lot of our design meetings, design reviews, you have a, a physical example of something and you can pass it around as people can touch and feel it. It, it makes them focus a little more and creates more of an interaction. Nice. When it comes to adding flair, what would you say is the most important thing professional speakers should remember? Um, I personally, I, I would think that just remember to have fun with it. Uh, you're speaking about something that you really enjoy, that you studied, that you know. So just try to enjoy yourself, and that's really going to come across and express yourself. Uh, mm -hmm. Also, you know, hopefully this will lead to more speaking engagements in the future. So it's really a chance to kind of test and revise, which also comes from a design process, whereas everything you do is kind of, you know, putting a lot of ideas together, testing it out, evaluating it, and then revising. So you can always try a new technique. And if you're not so sure about it, do something a little bit different the next time. 
Yeah, I always think of public speaking as an experiment. Every talk is just an opportunity to try speaking about it in a different way, asking different questions, presenting the material in a different order, and then just see what happens. So I think that that's excellent advice. Is there anything you want to make sure speakers avoid as they get started adding flair to their work? Um, well, I, I think it is don't be nervous about it. Uh, many people are hesitant to do it because they think, well, what if this doesn't work? But if, if, if you engage the audience emotionally and you feel like a, not, like a nice person, the audience is going to be on your side. So if at some point you try out a piece of flair and it doesn't work, the audience you know, won't be upset with you. Uh, you can just go on to the next, the next uh, topic. So again, it's back to that trial and error, but just be ready to move on. Uh, at, in terms of a concrete example of that, uh, there's a company on, online called despair.com. <laughs> it's a funny name. But they do takeoffs on the motivational posters that you see in many workplaces. You know, oh, yeah. We should work as a team um, and such. And so they do takeoffs on that. So for team, they would say, all of us together are not as smart as each of us individually. So they do the opposite message. Um, and one time I was teaching a short course and I passed around, I didn't, I put different ones of these on posters in the form of cards on different people's uh, spots where they were sitting during lunch. And then when they came back, I thought this would be a humorous way to, to get into the afternoon, but they looked at them and they didn't understand what they were about. So I just quickly collected them and realized, well, they weren't sincere to my topic and that's probably why they didn't work. But the course went on fine. So, you know, just, just try things out and, and if you're personable, the audience will be on your side. Mm -hmm. I want to share a quick story about a time I added flair to a presentation and about halfway through executing this flair, I got really nervous and thought it was the worst idea I've ever had and wanted to run away, but I had to finish it. Yep. <laughs> I was speaking to a class of MBA students at UMass Amherst, and I was speaking about personal branding. And I decided to wear one of my favorite dresses underneath a business suit, which was like a, had a skirt. So I went over my dress and I wore shoes I would never wear. And I don't wear business suits. So I went in and I delivered half my presentation in the business suit. And as I was talking, I took off the business suit to reveal my dress, which was more me. But I realized as I was doing it, how awkward it was to sort of undress in front of a class of <laughs> MBA students. <laughs> and I hadn't thought of that until I was actually doing it. And I think the students recognized how uncomfortable I was and then they got uncomfortable and I just like kind of hid behind the desk until I had the whole thing off and then I jumped out wearing my dress. And after the fact, a bunch of them came up to me and they said, congratulations on your courage and for, for doing something so bold and different. And we thought it was really fun, but we sort of felt bad for you because we could tell <laughs> we could tell you were struggling up there. But what's really interesting about it is that I did that about five years ago and I still get LinkedIn messages and run into people at networking events who are in that class who say, I remember when you did that, I was so impressed. And I, it just stands out to me as one of those memorable presentations. And so what it's kind of like, you know, when a pop star is in the news, even if it's bad news, you still remember them. So in, in some ways, I, I created flair in that presentation, probably not the way I wanted to, but... <laughs> 
it was just it, 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 did, it, it, it did work and and you you were a likable personable person and so you know they felt sympathy for you and they remembered it and it made your point <laughs> yeah exactly and you know what you try things out as this is why in design you make physical prototypes and you test it in the market because you can have the best idea ever and then when it comes to actually executing it maybe it doesn't go quite as well or you didn't consider everything but that's what you learn through going through it and testing it out and then you can revise or maybe it went better than you thought it did yeah is there anything else either of you have like would like to add before we jump into the lightning round <laughs> yes i i would just like to say uh, the point of our book and the point of this uh podcast is remember that people buy on emotion and justify their bias decision rationally. Now, I use the word buy, but if you're speaking, you know, people will adopt, you know, and follow through and follow up with you on what you're, you're doing based on their emotional reaction, and then they'll justify that decision rationally. And this is captured in a quote by a late British newspaper editor, Sir John Jenner, he said, an ounce of emotion is equal to a ton of facts. Yeah, well, I think that yeah, somewhat relates to this uh, kind of rational, emotional entertainment aspect. And uh, coming from the other end, being in the audience of talks, I find it's most effective when someone just brings you in. This is what all of our elements of flair are about, is creating a connection, energizing, bringing you in. So if you really just express what you love and create more of a dialogue, let the audience know that they're important to you and there's their presence there is important, kind of creates an in interaction and more of a communal feeling. Great. All right, let's jump into our five quick questions. This is where you'll provide um, a couple words or a sentence or two for each question and you can decide who goes first for each one. Um, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who are speakers? And I think Jimmy might have already given yours, but. Uh, yeah, and I'll just say, um, you know, stick with your, your kind of your brand message. As I said, you express yourself, uh, express your expertise. You are the only one who has your unique brand message in combination with your skill set and what you're saying. So just be really proud of it and be sincere and express it. Yeah, and then I'll just repeat, you know, what I said is make your talk personal. Share personal experiences and experiences of colleagues or friends that relate to your topic. Excellent. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? Well, mine is to always look at what you do or what you're talking about for your audiences and customers viewpoint. What's in it for them? What will they take? What will they take away with it? But not just take away with it, but what will they do with it? Um, I think what I've sort of mentioned this before is uh, whenever you have a chance to do public speaking, you know, career advancement, networking, you have to see it as this is kind of the ultimate endpoint. It's more of a, a learning experience, you know, test things, learn from other people, grow, and then try something new the next time. And number three, well, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Oh, I would just say that same kind of thing. It just, everybody is nervous. <laughs> Uh, when you do something new, when you're in front of a crowd, you just have to kind of try it out, 
see how it goes and, you know, adapt the next time. Yes, and I would say relax. If you appear likable when you speak, the audience will forgive an occasional fumble. Mm -hmm. What if... Um, I would give myself the same advice. Is that anybody... You guys still there? Yeah, yeah, we're here. Can you? <laughs> um, I'd say so at any age, 25 or 95, I would just say keep learning new things and keep revising and adapting no matter how old you are, how much experience you have. You can always pick up something new and try things a little bit differently. Yeah, mine is, is similar. It's keep exploring new ideas and trying out new ways of doing things, including new ways uh, for your speaking and writing. And number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Oh, that's funny. Um, I would say a chalkboard or a dry erase board, something where you can load it up with ideas and designs, and then you can wipe it clean and start all over again. Uh, but mm. sometimes uh, little shadows remain of what you've done previously, and you just build on top of it. Oh, I love it. <laughs> Well, my, my objects, uh, probably a bit unusual <laughs> to mention, but a railroad steam locomotive. I don't know if much of your audience has seen a steam locomotive in action, but you can see it on tourist railroads. Uh, I love steam locomotives because it's a mechanical, technical thing, but it touches all the senses. It's something you can see, you, you can hear the moaning and groaning and hissing, uh, the smell of the cinders and feel the heat of it and, and the taste of the soot. So it evokes all the emotions, which is what I like. And it also evokes the emotion of wondering what's beyond the horizon. And it's very transparent as you look at it and you see how it works. It doesn't hide it behind a shell. Oh, cool. And lastly, what does it mean to you to claim the stage? All right. To me, to claim the stage means to claim the opportunity to energize the audience. Hmm. Then they will pay attention, remember, and follow up. Mm -hmm. Well, I always think back to uh, when I was younger, I studied dance for about 15 years and did some drama and we were always learned how to occupy the whole stage sometimes it would be physically move around the whole thing up and down in and out but you don't even need to do that if you have the confidence the presence the passion you can stay in one spot and just fill up the entire space if you just love what you're doing and present yourself Mm, yes. And last thing I want to know so that we can get your book out there and more people can find out about how to add flair to their presentation. Where can our listeners find your book? Well, our book flair is on Amazon, as well as many other online booksellers. Uh, and the Barnes and Noble physical stores have it. Okay. Uh, it we do have uh, many examples in there that do relate to uh, public speaking. And you can find out more about me at my website if you just do Jim Pogue, run together, J-I-M-P-O-A-G-E dot com. Great. And Jen, where can we find out more about you? Um, you can look me up on LinkedIn or Twitter under my name. I think LinkedIn is Jennifer Pogue and Twitter is Jen Pogue, Jen with two N's. Uh, but I'm happy to continue the conversation with anybody who's interested. 
Excellent. Thank you so much, both of you, for being on my show today. I really appreciate it. This was some great advice, and I, I hope to see more speakers out there adding more flair to their presentations. Thank you so much, Angela, for having us. There you have it, my interview with Jennifer and Jim Pogue. I hope you enjoyed it. If you want to learn more about public speaking and how to become a professional speaker, make sure you get on my newsletter list. You can go to my website, angelalucier.us. I send out a weekly public speaking tip. Typically, it is from this podcast, but sometimes it's just something of my own mind or experience or observation and would love to share that with you so you can get on that list and start receiving that weekly tip. And until next time... I hope you have a great week and I will continue building hopefully really awesome interviews for you. I'm really enjoying this and I'm glad that you are listening. So don't forget, stop waiting, start creating. See you next time.